Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, Life Point. Great to be with you today. My name is Corey, and I have the privilege of serving as the teaching pastor here at our, our Plain City campus. And, and if you're new today, uh, so grateful that, that you're here. I want to just ask you a, a special favor if you're visiting with us today. You can go ahead and grab your phone and open up your web browser, and you can head to lpguest.com. That's lpguest.com, or you can use your camera app to to scan that QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. That's going to take you to some helpful resources for this morning. One will be message notes for today. The other will be a digital guest card that takes you less than 60 seconds to fill out. At the bottom of that digital guest card are five ministries that we are already partnered with. You can pick the one that means the most to you, and we'll make an additional $5 donation in your honor. That way you can do something good and kind just for being with us today. Well, this morning we're continuing on in our series called The Ascent, and um, I am blessed, and I believe you'll be blessed by uh, the, the guest teacher we have today, Pastor Jeff and um, I want to introduce Pastor Jeff to you. Um, Jeff and, and I have known each other just for a little while now, um, but um, he and I have been meeting frequently, and uh, I just would share from my heart today um, that not only has he been um, a, a blessing to me, um, a mentor to me, but most importantly, um, he's become a good friend to me, and so I am privileged to have him teach us today um, out of the Gospel of Matthew. I know you're going to thoroughly enjoy this, so let's welcome Pastor Jeff here with us this morning. Thank you. We'll see if you clap when this is over, okay? (laughs) So if you've got your Bible app or your Bible, um, open them to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And uh, it's been a, a pleasure to get to know Pastor Corey and to be invited to fill in to teach for him uh, this, this Sunday. We're in a five-week series, and this is going to be a, this isn't your typical Palm Sunday teaching. I'm going to just spoiler alert that right now. Um, we're in four week, or five, week four of a five-week series, When God Calls You to the Climb. And these are stories about God calling people to ascend to mountains for the purpose of provision. And these are high-altitude moments where God moved in people instead of moving the mountains for them. He didn't change their circumstances. He changed them. And last Sunday, Pastor Corey taught uh, about Elijah on Mount Carmel. And today, we're going to look at Jesus on the mountain of temptation. And the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, you guys, it's not a trite story nor is it a story that's totally unrelatable to us because of that old argument, well, Jesus couldn't have sinned if he tried to because he's God. You know, this isn't a story about whether or not it was possible for Jesus to sin. It's a story about what to do when our gospel identities are under attack. You know, one of our core values here at LifePoint Church is gospel identity. We are new. We Christians are forgiven. We are loved. What is gospel identity? It's allowing the Bible to tell us who we are based upon the way God sees us and not based upon the way that we feel about ourselves. 
And the temptation of Jesus' account is about how God has provided for us by putting Jesus under tests. And you might be asking, well, how, how, how is that a provision for me if Jesus is going to go through a test? Well, that's a good question. But first of all, let's read the story. It starts in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Might want to make note of that voice, a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, sent him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Wow, what a strange story for Palm Sunday. And why did we start the temptation account by reading about Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River? Because the story begins in the water, not in the wilderness. This story is totally relatable to us once we paired the baptism story where Jesus' identity is affirmed by a voice from heaven saying, You are my son. And the fact that the temptation happens immediately post-baptism, it constructs it, it concurs that this story is about Jesus' identity being under attack. I don't know if you guys heard this, but it's super important for me as a student of the Bible. God always will say, you are. And the enemy will always say, if you are. Did you catch that? God will say, you are. You are my son. I love you. Before Jesus did his first miracle, before Jesus' public ministry ever started, before Jesus preached one word, affirmed coming out of the water, you are. And in the wilderness, in the testing stories, the enemy, the devil, if, if you are. 
the story of the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, they're to be read together, not taken out of context from each other. And so to, to better understand this story, let's, let's clear away just a little debris. Excuse me just a second. My ring video doorbell's going off. So... Let's listen to the voice of the enemy as the enemy uses his voice to undermine Jesus' identity. Test number one, the enemy says, bend down. The tester tries to undermine Jesus' identity by pointing out his circumstances. What he says to Jesus in the wilderness, he says, do a food miracle, Jesus, Bend down and turn these stones into bread. You know, the children of Israel, they picked up manna from the ground like picking up stones. So why don't you, if you really are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. I mean, really? Jesus is starving after concluding his lengthy fast. And we've got the tester coming to undermine Jesus' identity by pointing out his circumstances. In essence, he says, you're the son of God and you're out here starving in the desert. Why don't you fix this mess since obviously God doesn't have your best interest at heart? And so the rub in this first test, is Jesus going to trust that God the Father has led him into this test? Because if you remember at the beginning of the story in Matthew chapter 4, it was the spirit that initiated the test. It wasn't wasn't the devil. And I think we got to get this picture out of our mind here. And that's what we think of when we read this story. We've got this red scaly creature that looks like uh, a gargoyle. uh, And kids will dress up in Halloween costumes in. And and this is, you know, Dante's Inferno story and our, 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 our caricature of the enemy, Satan, the devil. And the rub is in this test, this turn the stones to bread, is Jesus going to trust that the Father has led him into the test because it was the Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness immediately after the baptism. Spirit initiated the test. The devil, Satan, is a bit player in this story. And the question is going to be, is Jesus in fact going to do God's will? by submitting that God will prove sust, provide sustenance at the appointed time. You guys, the thing to take away from this and the takeaway for me is my circumstances cannot define who I am. That's what's at root at test number one. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 and says, says that men don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And now, do people need bread to live? Sure. But Jesus says not by bread alone. 
To be a fully flourishing, redeemed human being, we need way more than just food and water. To truly live, we need a word from the Creator that binds us together about who we are and about what we're here for as we journey into the story that God's called us into. And what we have in this test here is Jesus is staring down the hell of hunger and thirst, and he says, they don't define the meaning of my life. This isn't a trite story. It's about the real meaning of what it truly means to be human. So the first test, the enemy came. After Jesus' identity is affirmed by God and out of the baptism, hearing the you are and the enemy, if you are, well, the enemy tries again. And the second test is jump down. The tester tries to undermine Jesus' identity by putting God into his service. And so the story says that the devil takes him to the holy city, Jerusalem. And then don't get that movie playing in your mind that Jesus and the devil are walking together toward Jerusalem and they're climbing the steps of the temple to the very top. That's just not, that's ridiculous. Or that Jesus is walking from the wilderness all the way to Judea to Jerusalem with some invisible figure and talking with them. Jesus is having a visionary experience. And it's connected to the spirit that's come over him to where he could see and perceive realities that are at the heart of the existence of the human story. He's having a Daniel-like experience, an Ezekiel-like, a Zachariah-like experience. He's in the wilderness, and yet through a vision, he's experiencing that he's, being, that he's transported to Jerusalem, and he hears that voice again, and it says, if you're the Son of God, jump down. For it is written, isn't that interesting? Jesus quotes from the Torah, from Deuteronomy, to Satan at the first test. And so Satan is like, okay, you quoted scripture, let me quote one. And so Satan actually talks, takes two verses out of Psalm 91, which is a beautiful psalm of protection. And we don't have the time to read it, but Satan is quoting two verses out of a long psalm to uh, entice Jesus to jump. Because what Satan says in the story, he, he says, here's what, Jesus, here's what Psalm 91 says, God will protect you since you've made him your refuge. So if the Father loves you and you love him, make him your genie in a bottle. Pull him out and make him rescue you. And he takes these verses and he tests Jesus. And, and Jesus doesn't take the bait. And his counter move is, again, to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. This time he uses Deuteronomy 6.16, and he says, Thou art not to put the Lord your God to the test. And we know that Israel, back in the story of Deuteronomy chapter 6, 7, and 8, Israel certainly put God to the test. Israel tested God's patient. They complained about not having any food. They complained about not having any water. 
They complained about, they wanted to redo the exodus. Let's undo it. Let us go back to Egypt. We need a new leader, blah, blah, blah. And they tested God's patience over and over. They did their best to put God to the test. And now the Satan is going to Jesus and saying, do the same thing that your forefathers did. Jump. God will catch you. The angels will come. He'll dispatch angels. You won't even touch the ground. But here's what happens. The son trusts the father, and he doesn't make the father do tricks. And nor should we, as Christians, manipulate God into our service by doing something totally irrational. You think about the gospel, especially in North America, the North American gospel. Now, not all, but there's this gospel that's called the name it and claim it, the health wealth gospel. And we're talking about putting God to the test. And maybe you've heard sometimes evangelists on television talking about, you know, if you sow a seed into my ministry, in fact, if you don't even have any money to uh, send my way, go to the bank Take out a loan, sow it into my ministry. I don't care if it's $50, I don't care if it's $100, and God will give you a hundredfold back. Have you all heard that before? It's kind of like what's going on here. It's like sometimes we will manipulate God. We do irrational things, and we want God to be put into, into our service. We make irrational decisions. We say irrational things. And we make God our genie in the bottle at times. And that was what Satan wanted. Satan was wanting Jesus to do the very thing. Do something irrational. Jump, angels will come, you won't go splat. But the son trusts the father and he doesn't make the father do tricks. So the tester says to Jesus, Bend down, the tester says to Jesus, jump down. The third test in our story, bow down. The tester tries to undermine Jesus' identity by getting him to power broke a deal. And again, the story said the devil transported him to a very high mountain and shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And now the tester changed tactics. There's no more if you are the son of God. Hadn't worked up to this point. So if it hasn't worked, what do you do? Change tactics. And what's he offer? He offers Jesus power and authority if you'll fall down and worship me. If you'll make me your number two, Jesus. And what he's appealing to here is Jesus' coming destiny and instant gratification. And I don't know if you all can identify with instant gratification or not, but I love me some instant gratification. I mean, I want it now. I want everything now. I don't want to wait. I don't want to go to test. By the way, the prayer that we pray every day or supposed to pray every day, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, well, when you pray, pray like this. And you know the Our Father who art in heaven. You ever think about that line, lead, me, lead us not into temptation? Hmm. Jesus is asking the Father, Don't lead me 
into the test. And he wants us to pray to the Father that the Father doesn't lead us into the test. It's interesting, isn't it? I've never really thought about that phrase until I was really studying for this message this morning. But, but the devil is like, why wait to become a king? Or, or why even risk your kingdom's legacy? In fact, you can have all the kingdoms of the world right now if you'll be my number two. But Jesus knows enough about what the devil is offering him. He knows, Ephesians chapter 6, he knows that the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of the unseen world, the forces of darkness, and the forces of wickedness in heavenly places. You know, there's a reality of evil works behind Satan's kingdom or kingdoms. And it's clear that Jesus knows that he is in this situation. He has been led by the Spirit into this test time because up to and through the biblical story, there's not been a human that has ever passed the test. Some have come close. You think about a Moses. Moses came that close, you all, to passing the test. But you know, he didn't get to go into the promised land because he lost his anger and he was disobedient to God. And he didn't, he didn't do what God told him to do. Took matters into his own hands and it cost him getting into the promised land. Moses came close. But all the way up through the Hebrew Bible Old Testament, we've not had a human that has passed the test. And does the tester know humans? Oh, yeah. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the tester knows humans. Because the tester in Genesis chapter 3 to Adam and Eve says, did God really say? Did God really say? So now in the biblical story, I believe the gospel authors, I believe that Matthew, I believe that Mark, I believe that Luke are presenting a truly human one that has been thrust into this battle royale. You guys, this is a battle. This is a battle. Like I said, it's not a trite story. This was a battle to where we need a new Adam. We need a new Moses. We need somebody that can pass the test. And the gospel authors are presenting Jesus as that truly human one that could pass the test and provide that provision on this mountain of temptation. And we know with this third story, again, does Jesus take the bait? How's he going to respond? He recognizes that this voice is utterly demonic, it's persuading him to compromise the heart of who he is and what he came to do. And he responds this way in verse 11 of Matthew 4. He says, be gone, Satan. Be gone. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In either Mark's account or Luke's account of this story, 
Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. And verse 11 says that the devil left him. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. What a story. Good story. Bad story. You guys, the voices in our heads can mess with disciples of Jesus. We're all vulnerable to these voices that will cause us to doubt. We hear them constantly. And they tell those of us with addictive personalities lies like, you've got this under control. You're nowhere close to being an alcoholic. You're, you're just a social drinker. Or it's only porn on your computer or your phone. It's not the real thing. Your sin's secret. No one's ever going to know. Go ahead. Satisfy your urges. It won't hurt you. Or maybe you've heard these voices in an audible form. Maybe they came from someone that you thought was near and dear to you saying things like, you're never going to amount to anything. Or, oh, you're too emotional to do ministry. Or you're not experienced enough. What do you do when these voices, when you come under attack by them, There's nothing for it than to open your Bible to Matthew 4, to Mark chapter 1, to Luke chapter 4, and read these stories and say to these voices like Jesus did, you get out of here. You got to train your brain, you guys. Train your brain to send these thoughts captive before you begin listening to them. We got to beat them at their own game. We need to take them prisoner before they take us prisoner. And we can say, in the mighty name of Jesus of Nazareth, leave now, you're a defeated foe. We have way, way more authority over these voices than we think we do. So Jesus, the tester says, bend down. Jesus, the tester says, jump down. Jesus, the tester says, bow down. And Jesus says at the end, be gone, Satan. You think that's the end of the testing for Jesus? No, it's not the end of the testing. There'll be more. I'll take you to the final one, though. The final test is come down. And it's during the crucifixion to where the crowd tries to undermine Jesus' identity with pitiful taunts. And listen to the words. If you are the Son of God, save yourself. Come down. Isn't that interesting? Matthew's gospel Three years of Jesus, public ministry. Three years of Jesus. And you read John's gospel, you guys. Man, I dig John. 
John will just tell, John tells you like it is, Jesus' identity confidence grew and grew and grew as he journeyed those three years to Jerusalem to uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. His identity confidence, test after test after test, Jesus passed him with flying colors. He was tested. He was tested by the religious elite. He was tested by those that are close-minded to him. Test after test, Jesus passed them. And even on the cross, I, I just wonder if those words, if you're the Son of God, come down. I just wonder if it took Jesus back to the water and the wilderness. But I can tell you, rather than say on the cross to those passerbys and those that were crucifying him, be gone, he looks up into heaven. And Luke says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them if they don't know what they're doing. Incredible, isn't it? Jesus was so confident in, in, in his identity. He says, rather than you get out of here, forgive them. Forgive them. You guys, we're going to land the plane with this. Being a disciple of Jesus is like coming into the wilderness. And it's not easy to be Jesus' disciple. In fact, it's hard. And don't expect your life to be, get easier when you become a Christian. Some things might get resolved, but there's going to be a lot of tension that will be introduced into your life. If you obey and follow the teachings of Jesus, it's going to test your relationships and voices are going to come into your head and they're going to say, if you're really a son or a daughter of God, look at the mess going on in your life. Look at your circumstances. Are you going to tell me that God loves you? And do you know what to do when those voices come into your head? Do you know where to go? I don't know where, anywhere else to go when I hear those voices than to open my Bible, Matthew chapter 4, appeal to the words of Scripture and say, you get out of here. You don't understand who I am as a human. You don't understand my value. And if we don't do this, the shame and the degradation are voices of evil, and they will destroy us. They're going to come, but we can tell them to leave. We're going, we can tell them they're defeated, that Jesus has overcome them, and they have no right to be believed. Remember, going through a test doesn't define you. Who God says you are defines you. Why did Jesus share this story with his disciples? Because he assumed that if we, we are following him, we're going to go through the same kind of testing. The voices are going to come. Don't let them tell you who you are. Let this book tell you who you are. Let us pray. Father, I come to you this morning and I just ask you, Lord, I ask you to give us courage, Lord, as we face, God, 
tests. Tests are inevitable. And no doubt in a crowd this size, Lord, there are folks that are going through the test right now. Lord, I pray that they take your word as face value as the truth. And when the voices come, Lord, they will say, in your name, in the name of Jesus, leave now. My circumstances don't define who I am. God defines who I am. Lord, give us the courage to run to you when we hear things from the enemy. And we thank you. We thank you that every now and then the enemy might win a battle. But we thank you that you have won the war. We love you, Jesus. Amen.